today. Um, and as we just saw in that video a moment ago, I hope that you'll come out next Sunday night as we're going to have a great event together as we celebrate uh, 10 years of ministry as a church. And that's going to be a good time. We're going to meet at Grace Community Church at 6.30 p.m. so that we can be uh, both campuses together uh, for one big service. Here, here's what you get to do. You get to sleep in next Sunday morning and enjoy uh, your morning at home. But we want you to come out, bring family, bring friends friends and join us at 6.30 p.m. at Grace Community Church over on 146th Street. Uh, help us get that word out and uh, come for what's going to be a really cool uh, evening together. Hey, I want to welcome you uh, to the final uh, Sunday in a series that we've been in now for a few weeks, uh, a series called From This Day Forward. And I've just got to say that it's been a great series uh, and a great opportunity to hear from different teachers on important questions that come up in marriage and in relationships. And if you've missed any of the previous weeks in this series, I'd encourage you to go to our website, uh, get subscribed to the podcast, and check out some of those previous weeks. Now, while we have talked about some important aspects of marriage uh, these past couple of weeks, today what I want to do is I want to return to what I believe to be the most important of all. Uh, In fact, I believe so strongly in what I want to share with you today that I would say that if you have any hope whatsoever uh, of finding or discovering or experiencing the marriage that you've always wanted, it's going to be nearly impossible to do that without this one thing. Because with this one thing, this one thing I, I want to talk with you about today, I believe that it has all the power to make all the difference in your life, whether you're single or married or even hope to be married one day. But before we do that, let let me just kind of start off by asking today, uh, maybe by a show of hands, for those of you that are married, how many of you this, how how many of you would say that you married someone that's just a little bit different than you in some ways or in many ways? How how many of you would say that? All right, a lot lot of hands showing. Let let, let me ask this one. Let's go a little bit further. How many of you would say, and let's be honest here, how many of you would say that you married someone that is like completely opposite of you in, in so many different things? Lots of hands going up, a little giggle or two there. Here's what they say about dating and marriage. They will say that in dating, opposites attract, but when you get into a marriage, opposites attack, right? I mean, isn't that kind of how it works? I mean, what's cute and those things that you laugh about when you're dating, well, they're maybe not as funny as you get into marriage and as years pass, and there are all sorts of differences, You know, there are common things. I mean, there are just those things that make men, women, men different and women different or in any particular relationship, this person's different than that person. I mean, there are differences in how you keep time and maybe with the schedule. I mean, there are those punctual people that like to be on time. But maybe you married somebody that is just into the fashionably late kind of a thing, like all the time in everything that you do. I mean, there are differences between those and organization and cleanliness, maybe around the house. Like for some of you, like you've never, ever made your bed, like period. All right. I mean, it just doesn't happen. It's you're going to get into it anyways. And so why make it up again? You know, but then you married somebody whose favorite store is the container store. Like, I mean, you just you didn't see some of the challenges you know, that are going to come with two people coming together like that. Or we all know there's differences with money, you know, in every relationship you have savers and you have those that are spenders. And so introduce a little stress that even comes with money and, and you can see some of the challenges that will work their way into any marriage. 
Uh, Jenny and I have been married happily for almost 15 years now, coming up in August, and uh, we've got a ton of similarities. I mean, we really do. I mean, we're both firstborns. Uh, we're both pretty neat and organized. We enjoy a lot of the same things. I mean, the funny thing is that even in our weaknesses, like we're pretty similar too. Like, for example, I mean, one of the weaknesses that we both share is that we're both pretty indecisive people. And so you can imagine some of the challenges that come with that, like especially if we're out on a date and we're trying to decide where to go to dinner, like we'll spend the whole evening, you know, trying to figure out a place to go. And because we're non-confrontational and because we're people pleasers too, I mean, it's just this game that we play, like what's she thinking? What's he thinking? You know, how how do I ultimately get to where I want to go, but I don't want to make her upset in that. And so you can see some of the challenges that would come uh, in a weakness like that. I mean, we just don't get anywhere uh, once in a while. And so we've got a lot of similarities, but you know what? Like even in our similarities, even in 15 years of marriage, we're different. I mean, it's just the way that God designed us. And then add to that marriage is hard. I mean, it's challenging. It's something that you have to work at from the beginning to the end. It can be complicated. We don't have each other figured out in our house, and we probably never will. And when it comes to certain things, men and women are just different. I mean, we're all wired differently. And oftentimes, you know, when it comes to marriage, at least to some degree, it's true that opposites attract, and that's okay because it's one of the beauties of marriage. I mean, it's one of the beautiful works that, that, that God can do. It's about two people becoming one, you know, and people in God's greatest work can complement each other in this marriage so that you have this beautiful couple that results from it. But the challenge is, the challenge is that when these differences turn into conflicts or when something that starts out small and humorous at first turns into a greater issue. And before you know it, you know, these small conflicts lead to things like resentment, and frustration, and even bitterness, and then you throw a kid or two in there, uh, or some of the challenges with getting pregnant, uh, the busyness of life, and financial strain, and all of a sudden you can see how two people who were once madly in love can drift so far apart. And before long, you know, a couple that was so enthusiastic about spending their lives with each other and planning out their wedding day is now throwing around the possibilities of separation and even divorce. I mean, it happens. Divorce happens. Too often. And our God doesn't want it to happen. And the fact of the matter is that it doesn't have to. And so that's why we've been asking the question. All throughout this series, we've been asking the question, is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? I think the answer is yes. I mean, I like to believe that the answer is yes, but it's only a yes if you're willing to work at it. I mean, it's only a yes if you're willing to be intentional in it and with your relationship. I mean, it's about doing things differently because normal and complacency is not getting it done. And so that's why we've been talking about these past weeks, about these different commitments or practices that you can make in your marriage, one for each of the past three weeks. And and I just want to say here, I know that they don't tell the whole story. And I know that each of these commitments doesn't answer every particular question, but there are four commitments that make up this series that I believe can make all of the difference in your life and in your future marriage or even your marriage today. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, if you're taking notes and you want to write these down, I mean, the first commitment was just this, to seek God and to do it together. I mean, Steve Wallen was here, our Carmel campus pastor, and what did he say? It's about seeking God. It's about having a relationship with God, with your spouse. And he just challenged us very specifically to pray with your spouse daily, to make that a practice in your life. I mean, we're we're trying. I mean, we're not doing it every day, but it's something that we're trying to do. 
The second commitment was about fighting fair. And Tim Gardner was here and he, he, he talked about conflict. I, I, if you weren't here, I've got news for you. I mean, if you have conflict in your marriage, I mean, if you ever argue, I mean, if there's ever some frustration, guess what? You're normal. Like, I mean, it happens. I mean, it happens in our house. It happens in every home. But the key is learning to fight fair. The key is when we take on this attitude of selflessness in our relationship so that we're listening and we're hearing from the other person, not just speaking for ourselves. Last week, uh, Steve Davis was here and talked about the commitment to have fun. You know, there needs to be some fun in every marriage. And that was just a great message, right? All right, as Steve Davids talked to us about the importance of face-to-face fun, side-to-side fun, and belly-button-to-belly-button fun, right? I mean, thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. Uh, For those of you that are here, you know what I'm talking about. If you weren't here, you're thinking, you're thinking, oh, you got it now, all right? I mean, so you don't want to miss. Don't ever miss a Sunday here because you never know uh, what you might miss. But today, what I want to do is talk with you uh, about this fourth commitment, and it's about never giving up in your marriage. It's a commitment that says, I will never give up. And before I get started into that, I I do want to just say up front that I'm not talking about you staying in an abusive marriage. Uh, In fact, if you find yourself in a dangerous situation right now, or you're enduring some abuse in any way, shape, or form, it's right to get counseling. It's right to seek professional guidance so that you can make the best choice for you, maybe the safest choice for you, and even for your children if they're involved. I also want to say up front for those of you that have been in a marriage previously, maybe a marriage that ended in divorce, I don't want you to experience any guilt today because chances are that you've already endured enough of that already. All right, so that this isn't about that. And, and I know that for a lot of you, you did everything you could to keep your marriage going, but it does take two people, right? Or others of you, I know that you might look back today or maybe over the last few weeks, you've looked back and you've thought to yourself, you've reflected and you've thought, wow, I really messed up. Like, I mean, if anyone has to take responsibility here, it's me. I made this mess. And if only I could go back and fix things. Remember this can't change the past. We don't have that ability. But no matter what, no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter what's going on in your marriage, you can make a commitment from this day forward that things will change starting today. They can be different because you don't have to give up. You don't have to turn it in. I mean, you don't have to give in. It doesn't have to be helpless because we serve a God who loves and he forgives and everything and all things are possible with him. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn in them uh, in the New Testament uh, to the first book of the New Testament, to the book of Matthew, and go to Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 3. I want to look at just a few verses uh, with you here today and to kind of give you some context of what's happening here. It really is an interesting conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so it's Jesus and the religious leaders, the elite religious leaders, these arrogant officials of the day. And they knew the law and they knew it well. And these Pharisees, like on other occasions, are trying to trap Jesus. But on this particular occasion, on this specific issue of marriage, maybe more importantly, the issue of divorce. And so in verse 3, we've got the verses on the screen here for you too. Here's how it goes. It says, some Pharisees came to him, they came to Jesus to test him. All right, there's the trap. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, unfortunately, during this time and in this culture, women were really viewed as property. 
Nothing more than that. And so a man, a husband, had every right on this particular occasion. They could say to their wife, you know what, I don't want you anymore. I want to divorce you, divorce their wife. And it was culturally accepted and in many cases accepted by the religious community or these religious leaders too. And so that's why the Pharisees are asking the question. They're trying to trap Jesus with this issue because they knew the Old Testament law. They knew what it had to say about divorce and about legal rights in divorce. And so they're kind of curious to see how Jesus is going to respond to such a question. And here's how he does in verse 4. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, and just stop there for a second, what Jesus is going to do is he is referring back now to something that is said in the book of Genesis. Now, the Pharisees had in mind something that is written in places like Deuteronomy. And not that those words are irrelevant, but what Jesus is doing here is he is using a rabbinical technique of arguing from a weightier text. I mean, he returns to Genesis from which our God, the Creator, spoke about the ideal state of marriage. And here's how Jesus responds, again, referring all the way back to the book of Genesis with God's very own words. Jesus says this to them. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, and here's the kicker, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, the Pharisees put all of the emphasis on divorce, but Jesus is emphasizing the importance of marriage. He says, hey, here's God's ideal situation. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Let nothing pull the two apart. Uh, Just the other night, I was walking through our laundry room, and the washing machine was running. It was filling with water at the time, and I could tell that we had a small puddle of water on the floor. Well, I stepped in it. That's not right. And uh, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what, what, what's going on here? And so I did what any, you know, well-intentioned guy would do in that moment. I grabbed a flashlight and I just kind of started shining at it. And I got underneath and I was looking. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I at least thought I would check it out. And I wanted to see, okay, did the washer just kind of go off balance and some water came over the side? I checked the hoses in the back, no leaks back there. And so I'm looking underneath to see if maybe some water is dripping from the inside. And again, the washer wasn't running at the moment, but it was filling. So it was was in operation. And without thinking, I put my hand up underneath it and I put it up into the washer. Again, I'm just kind of looking for some water. Well, the one brain cell that was working at the moment kind of alerted me to the fact that you know the washer's running and you know your hand's up in it. And I could kind of feel at that moment that I was up against the motor and I could feel the belt there by my fingers. And then I heard the washer click which alerted me. Thankfully, the one brain cell, again, that was working said, you idiot, get your hand out of the washing machine right now. And I pulled it away. And as I pulled it away, I could feel that belt and even the motor just barely graze my finger. I didn't have a scratch. There was no blood or anything, but I did lay there on the floor with my heart pounding, just thinking to myself, why in the world? Again, you idiot. I mean, and just trying to imagine what it would feel like the pain of my finger. Maybe that's a little drastic, but you never know. The pain of my finger you know, being ripped away from my hand. I mean, what would a pain like that feel like if some of you know pain? Because if you've ever been divorced, uh, no one has to describe it to you. You know the pain. 
Uh, if your parents divorced at any point in your life, you know the pain of something like that. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you believe about the Bible. You don't have to believe anything about it to know the pain of something like divorce because what happens in divorce? It's like a ripping and tearing of two that had become one. I mean, it's why divorce is so incredibly painful. And here's just the problem that I see too often in marriages or the way that marriages are being portrayed in our society today. The problem with our culture is that I don't believe we're accurately portraying what marriage really is. We don't understand marriage. I mean, the world views marriage as an agreement, as a contract, while the Bible defines and teaches that marriage is a covenant. Now, what's the difference? Well, a contract says that if you do your part, I'll do my part. A contract says that this marriage is based on mutual distrust, while a covenant, on the other hand, is based on mutual commitment. Now, what does a contract do? Well, marriage as a contract limits my responsibility, but it increases my rights. It says I'm in as far as you're in. And unfortunately, I just think that's what happens so often in marriage. We'll say, you know, if you meet my needs and and as long as something better doesn't come along, I'll stick with this. But if you don't own up to your end of the contract, then I have an out. But what's a covenant? What does it mean for marriage to be defined as a covenant? Well, in God's eyes, a covenant is a permanent relationship. Our God is a covenantal God and he makes relationships with his people that are permanent. And I think it's just interesting that in the Old Testament, the way that people would often get married is that they would stand before a representative of God. Now, if you've been to a wedding lately, you've seen the couple light a unity candle together as a symbol, or maybe you've seen a couple and they'll pour sand into one jar together. Again, it's it's a symbol. Well, when was the last time you saw this? The, The representative, the pastor, if you would, priest maybe on this occasion, what he would do is he would take the palm of the groom and he would take a blade and he would cut into the palm so that there would be blood and he would do the same with the bride, join their hands together as a mixing of blood. Again, I don't see any couple signing up for this at any time soon in their wedding ceremony. But again, it has everything to do with what it means and what it symbolizes It's everything with what the book of Leviticus has to say about covenants. It's about two becoming one, permanent, forever, and together. It's why Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's about two becoming one flesh, forever and always. And personally, this is why I would just say I believe that wedding ceremonies and sharing your vows are a really big deal. In fact, I would say to any couple, if you're just simply looking for a cool place to get married, to take pictures, or to live out all of your dreams for your wedding day, a wedding at Genesis is probably not for you. A wedding is supposed to be a covenant ceremony. It's about two people joining their lives together so that they become one. It's about two people sharing their vows with words like, I take you to have and to hold from this day forward in sickness and in health until death do us part. That's why we never give up. That's why marriage is a covenant. I mean, it's a lifelong pledge that I made to my wife, even if I didn't fully understand it on that day, that I make to my wife that says, I will never, ever give up. I mean, it's the covenant that many of you here today, even in your own marriage, you embrace and you know that it's your understanding of that covenant that at times is the only thing that kept you together, that helped you get through. 
Ruth Graham is the uh, late wife of the famous preacher, Billy Graham. And someone once asked her, hey, your marriage with Billy couldn't have been perfect. I mean, especially with him traveling all the time and so much time away. Uh, And the question was asked, did you ever consider in any season uh, divorcing Billy Graham? And she responded with a rather mischievous look on her face. I never thought about leaving. Now killing him crossed my mind on more than one occasion. If you're thinking about getting married, if you're soon to be married, The reality is that when you enter into a marriage covenant, you're saying before God, your family, and friends that you will keep your covenant no matter what. And so when someone will ask me the question, well, hey, Paul, how how do you really know if you're ready to get married? I, I think a simple but yet very profound response is when you're ready to say forever. Like if you're ready to make that commitment and stand by it till death do us part, then I would say, you're ready to get married. It's about saying, I'll never give up. If you're married right now, and you know, like every marriage, that it's hard. It's something that you can't just give it over to complacency and expect it to work out. You have to work at it. You have to establish right practices in your marriage. I just want to say to you, no matter how difficult it is right now, don't ever give up. Do these things. Be intentional. The world likes to say, that you can give up, that you have an out, that you can try something else. But let me just encourage you today, you don't have to give up. I mean, your marriage can change. It can get even better. You can even get back to the way that things used to be. If, but let me say this too. If you're in a marriage right now, and it's a real mess. In fact, you would say, you know what, we're in a crisis mode right now. We're barely holding it together. And let's be real for a second. I mean, because of what he has done or what she has done, there would maybe even some that would say that you've got grounds for divorce. Can I just say this? Don't rush that. Take your time. Seek godly counsel. Make sure you're praying that through. I mean, if you haven't signed the papers yet, don't give up just yet because God can heal you and he can heal your spouse. I mean, it doesn't have to be like this. And when you think that the same God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he could raise your marriage too. He could do these great things in your marriage. You don't have to give up. In fact, I would say, and you might find this hard to believe, that God can take all of the junk. He could take all of the garbage or the affair or the broken promises that you're wading through in your marriage right now, and He could use it all, bring you through, and give you the marriage that you've always dreamed of and even more. I could introduce you to couples here at this church who have walked through Hades in their marriage and they have endured circumstances that they would never ever wish on anyone. But to stay with it, to heal and to get through to the other side and to experience the marriage that they're experiencing now, they wouldn't trade it for anything. And why? Because they didn't give up and their faith and their hope rests in Jesus Christ. You don't have to give up. You don't have to give in. And when you think about it, you know what? Our world, our children, our families, and our community, and our church desperately needs men and women who are willing to say that we will never, ever give up. How do you do that? I mean, what does it take? I mean, what's it take to experience the marriage that you've always wanted where two people fall in love and stay in love forever? Or... What's it take to embrace a commitment like that, an attitude that like that that says, you know what, okay, I'll never give up. I mean, it's that sort of commitment, but how do you hold to something like that, especially when life happens? Well, at the top of the message, I told you that I believe that what I have to share with you today to be the most important piece of this entire marriage series 
And interestingly enough, it has everything to do with returning all the way back to what we talked about in the first week of the series. And to illustrate that, I want to take you to another passage just very quickly in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, again, where Jesus is teaching. He's talking about life and what it means to live for God. He's talking about what it means to hear the word of God so that it makes a difference in your life. And he's using a teaching method called a parable. Now, a parable was a made-up story, but it was told on purpose. It was a very believable story to help make an emphatic point. And that's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24 with this parable. And here's what he says. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And so stop there for a second. Jesus is basically saying, hey, do you want to know who's wise? Do you want to know who makes the very best choices with their life? It's the one who digs down deep and builds the foundation of his or her life on the rock. I mean, it's the one who centers his or her life, not only on hearing the word of God, but applying that word of God. It's about responding as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus says, when you center your life on God or on a relationship with me, you can establish a foundation that will weather any storm. And then in contrast, Jesus says in verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now I want you to see that while both the wise man and the foolish man built houses, only one built a house that stood the test. It's the man who dug down deep into the rock, laying up a strong foundation for the days to come. Now, what does this have to do with marriage? I mean, why is this the most important message of this series? Again, it's everything that we talked about just four weeks ago. It's about you and your spouse seeking God first together, establishing that relationship with the Father as the center, as the glue that holds that relationship together. It's about building a foundation, or even about that song that we sang just a moment ago, as Jesus Christ, as the cornerstone of your life, for your marriage, through faith in Jesus. You know, it's praying together, it's reading together, it's serving together, it's choosing a church like this and saying, you know what, this is going to be a, a part of our lives and we're going to do this together. But, but I think there's more. I mean, there's something that comes even before that. I mean, what does it take to have or even hope for a marriage where two people fall in love and stay in love together? Friends, it's Jesus Christ at the center of your life first. It's about him being at the center of your life, of you, of him as the foundation, even now. I mean, if it's true if you're a husband, it's true if you're a wife, if you're single, if you're in college, if you're divorced, if you hope to be married one day. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's for every single one of us, whether you're married or not. Jesus says the wise man, the wise woman, builds the foundation of their life on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because he can't be at the center of your marriage unless he's at the center of your life first. Can you say that Jesus is at the center of my life today, that he's my foundation? Let's pray.
God, we need you at the center. And there is no other life worth living. And so I pray that you would teach us to build the foundation of our lives on you. I mean, show us what you at the center can do for our marriages. God, I pray for those who are here today and maybe are single and waiting to be married, that they would take this time now to pray and to ask, what does it mean to center my life around Jesus Christ? God, I pray for those who are dating and engaged, that they would use this time, that they would use this season to establish right practices where Jesus Christ is at the center of their life first so that he can be at the center of their relationship. God, I pray for those who are married and even things are going well, that we might use this time to evaluate, to reevaluate what's it mean for Jesus to be the center, the foundation. God, I pray for those who are in crisis. God, would you give them the wisdom to take next steps, to get the help they need? Would you give them the faith to lean on you? And would you give them the faith to believe that you can do what might look possible, impossible today? God, show us that kind of life, the life of the wise man, where the foundation of our lives is on the one who gave his all for us, Jesus. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so that we could have that kind of life and that kind of hope. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.